Hello and welcome back to Rocket Pod. On today's show, we're joined by Will Van Zyl. Will is the founder of Ultimate Wellbeing and is the UK's leading Wim Hof coach. He actually studied under Wim Hof himself. Um, I actually had the pleasure of experiencing his coaching from the breathing into a 0.5 degree ice bath. Um, and the experience was profound. Uh, one of the reasons why I wanted Will to come on to the show today. Um, I love his energy, his passion for well-being, and his approach to life in general. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Welcome, Will. So welcome, Will. How are you doing today? Yeah, well, very well, actually. Uh, loving, loving the weather, really, really busy. Um, and every time I say that, I, I catch myself and I reframe it to go, there's a lot that needs to get done. Uh, because I don't feel busy. Uh, I'm just doing a lot of things. Uh, so um, there's quite a lot that needs to come to a head in the next few weeks. So. Well, that's that's great. So yeah, it's an absolutely beautiful time of year. I think when England's like this, it is, um, it's quite stunning. And like you said, when we met um, a number of weeks ago, you said, you know, it's a, it's a great piece of land. And, you know, when it's like this, it's absolutely um, stunning. So I guess what I'm interested in, you were the Global Director of Change for Dyson. And then you're, you've since founded um, Ultimate Wellbeing and you're a Wim Hof coach. So how does, how does a, a Global Director of Change and Data at Dyson go from there to be a Wim Hof coach? And I think what would be really helpful for our listeners, um, if we go right back to where you, where, where you grew up, and, and kind of lead us through your journey to where we are now. And then we can kind of get into some of the, the details of kind of what makes you tick. And, and I think, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm very excited to, to be um, talking to you this morning because um, you've got some amazing ideas. So, yeah. So where did it all start? Take us right back. But did you say you had until noon today or tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> no. So uh, the, the interesting thread through through all of this, James, is is people and connection and such. And and growing up, born in South Africa, the first first few years of my life, so first I'd say easily 10, 11 years of my life, we moved around a lot. So I was born down in Cape Town, beautiful, beautiful part of South Africa, beautiful part of the world. And our life growing up was, yeah, there was a bit of school, there was, uh, there was beach, there was walks in the mountains, there was swimming in rivers, there was all, all manner of things natural. And, and that, that's part of the beauty of, of, of Africa and the beauty of, beauty of Cape Town. And what I've come to realize, the beauty of this piece of land that we live on as well, is there's so much uh, that we could just do outdoors. So growing up there, we moved around a lot though, uh, from from Cape Town, my dad was a, a circuit circuit court magistrate. Um, mm. So he would he would have a placement in one area for a year or so. Then he'd have a placement in another area for a year or so, and and we'd we'd slip around the country. Uh, so so we got to know we got to know parts of parts of the country quite a bit. Um, some may view it as unsettling. I've I've viewed it as setting the foundation for resilience to change. <laughs> so. Uh, it's something my wife and I often talk about is, you know, stability in a family versus stability in our kids and in ourselves. Mm. Uh, they're two different things. So we moved around quite a lot. And ultimately, when I was just round about 10-ish, a little bit younger, a little bit younger than 10, we settled in, in a part of South Africa, the eastern, eastern Cape part of South Africa, in and amongst what were then called um, TBVC states, the Transkei, Poputetswana, um, Venda, and Siskai, which which were homeland states that the then apartheid government had allocated to the indigenous peoples to say, you go and live there. 
Um, and my father actually ended up lecturing uh, and being the head of the law, law faculty for the University of Fort Hare, which, which proved to be quite a, quite a blessing for us because we got to live on the Fort Hare farm, okay. a beautiful, massive farm where our days again, you know, after school or before school even, were just spent outdoors, running barefoot across fields, swimming in the rivers, you know, mm-hmm. really pushing the elements a little bit and going down rivers on handcrafted kayaks when the river's in full flood <laughs> with you know any mix of any mix of people with us and around us really having a, a very connected natural outdoor upbringing mm, um, an amazing childhood yeah it, it, it really it really was and 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 you know heading out for walks into what's called the copies or the little hills around around the area and coming across you know leopard spur and things like that and you go yeah I'm, I'm out here and there's 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 wild stuff out here and I'm, I'm in it <laughs> so it, it was really lovely and and um I'll, I'll sort of fast forward and rattle through a little bit it's around about around about early teens um regardless of all that natural fun and adventure and keeping very healthy and active I I developed a, a spinal problem um I grew too fast. I was effectively just around about six foot by the time I got to 12, 13 years old. Mm. And I was a, quite a muscular six foot. Um, some things do change apparently. <laughs> and um, my spine hadn't grown hard enough to support that growth, that height and weight. Mm. So the vertebrae started to shape themselves mm. a little bit differently. So I've got a funny, funny shaped spine and it started giving really a lot of trouble. Um, and it made me very aware of my body. Mm. But it also led me down a path of exploring things like the martial arts and different types of movement and strengthening my body and being really in touch with my body um, rather than you know, moping around because of it. I did. I did mope around because of it often, um, but I, I gradually learned to pull myself away from the moping around the, oh, woe is me. I have a bad back, uh, Will. Um, and I looked into... I looked into yeah that at that age probably around fourteen or so how I could strengthen my body and how I could actually uh, I'll use the word master but overcome what was actually a fairly painful experience mm. um, just like lying in bed last night talking to my wife um, reflecting on on a few things you know, I, I write on my Wim Hof bio that not a day's gone by since I was about twelve or thirteen that I haven't suffered back pain. Last night in bed, I was lying there and I was just telling her, well, right now it's around about the base of the spine and then it's coming up the left a little bit. I've got some referred pain down my right leg. But mm. It's been with me ever since. And it's proven a great teacher, a really great teacher, really drawn me into my body, made me aware of what my body is telling me, created a, a bit of a shadow for me that drives me, I think, to learn and know much, as much about my body as, as I can, and my entire physiology, whether it be, you know, musculature, skeletal, psychological, neurochemical, emotional, doesn't matter. I, I, I really started to immerse myself in the body. Um, I'll pass forward a little bit more um, through the secondary school. Wasn't my greatest time. I was always the guy with the odd interests. I, wasn't, I was at an all boys school. A relatively traditional school in the Eastern Cape where uh, it was very religious uh, in terms of rugby as the primary religion and then you were allowed a secondary religion 
religion of hockey, <laughs> but primarily rugby. Um, and and I, I've never been a, a religious person. I've never I've never uh, identified or aligned with um, you know formal structures and you know things. And and that was one of them. I enjoyed you know watching a good game. I enjoyed playing a good game of rugby. But if I had a choice between going and spending two hours on a Saturday morning training karate down at the local dojo versus being forced to go and have a sing song in the field side with the first team running back and forth, I chose the karate. So I was bullied quite a lot at school okay. because of that. And uh, it, it led me again to a point of, well, that's okay. It built a form of resilience. Mm -hmm. I didn't really enjoy it at the time, but enjoyment is a choice. Um, and I, I just developed a set of interests and such that uh, as I got to my 17th sort of year, I said, all I want to do is teach people about the body and teach people martial arts and breath work and how to strengthen themselves and maintain a, a bit of resolve. Hmm. And, and 17, I, that's, a, that's pretty young to actually have that, uh, that insight or that, um, that desire to, I guess, explore that further and to teach other people. It's, it's, the only, it's the only thing I really wanted to do. I, I had set my mind on studying medicine at university as well because I was that interested in how the body came together and, 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 and such and, and worked and, and different aspects of healing. Um, but when I was 17, so early, I need to think roughly round about the beginning of my last year of school in, in, in South Africa, it's called matric, matriculate, um, which is the equivalent here of, I think year 12, um, not year 13, year 12. Um, I had a fall and a, a weakness in my lower spine, right down above my sacrum, turned into a break so i broke mm. my l5 vertebra such mm. that part of it started to push down on the nerve coming down into my left leg the major sciatic nerve and, and started mm. to interrupt uh the the function of that leg and, and after a while it started giving out under me and, and, and the thigh mm. atrophied quite a lot and it, the problem was though that the, the break wasn't healing it wasn't knitting uh the bone wasn't knitting again so I'd get sensation and, and some strength back in the leg for a little while, and then it would give out again. And I just carried on, and ultimately I needed surgery. And with the best intent in the world, the surgery then was uh, fairly brutal, fairly rudimentary spinal fusion, a whole lot of cutting through muscle and nerve and such in the back to pack bone around. So long story, long story short, my my desires to become a martial arts teacher to the styles that I knew then I, I couldn't I couldn't practice them anymore uh, still mm. I can't I can't really do any leg work or such everything needs to be upper body and very calm and so, mm. so that mm. that challenged that and then challenged my studies studies as well because I missed three months of school uh, and and ended up uh, not getting the grades I needed to go into med school mm. so that, that's probably chapter one of me realizing that life happens, right? Mm. It happens. So, you can have the best plans in around, but but stuff will happen that you just need to know how to respond to. Yeah. So it's it's a really interesting um, combination. So you've got the obviously the African. It's not the savannah, but you've got the you've got Africa, which I mean, I spent a lot of my childhood in Africa, in Kenya, so mm. I can relate to just wandering in the bush and 
you know, it's just amazing. Um, the light's amazing and the wildlife and there's such a diversity. And it sounds like you had exposure to, you know, well, the indigenous folks in Africa and, and you know, um, and then your father was a magistrate. So I'm, I'm curious to know um, the kind of conversations around the dinner table, you know, I mean, did, was your dad a good teacher of, I mean, did he, did he share about his work? Um, and, you know, because I mean, obviously you, you had to deal with, you know, your, your back pain and, uh, you know, living with pain, you know, even before you broke your back. Um, I mean, that was kind of like the, it sounds like the icing on the cakes um, as far as probably elevating the, the, the discomfort and the pain. I mean, so um, did you get good emotional support from your parents or what did you learn from the dinner? Did you have dinner time? Did you have supper together as a family? I mean, we, we did. We, we did and interestingly my dad um if you were to if you were to look at us side by side for various reasons my my, my father had a similar spinal problem um although mm. it went largely undiagnosed in him because of just the era that he grew up in it was just his spine was different um so we would connect quite a bit on on that level interestingly my, my father never knew his father uh, he grew up with a very, a very uh, responsible and, and lovely man as a stepfather. But um, from what I can recall, never really developed a father-son relationship. Mm. And one, one of the challenges my, my dad had, um, and, and I suppose as a result uh, in, in my early years, I reciprocated, was we couldn't connect emotionally. Um, okay. And... And he, he would he would often he would often um, shield himself with sarcasm and a, a type of humor, but a type of humor that sometimes was a bit scathing and and harsh. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, the, the the conversations around the table were rich, uh, but from a from a supportive perspective, I, I and, and this is always really interesting with the whole the whole process of remembering something that has happened in the past you know today's emotion always gives some sort of new meaning to it a new new aspect to it but i i don't recall him being front and center supportive and 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 there it was much more much more my mom who was uh, doing her best to guide you know decisions and be there and create an environment where i could work stuff through okay. um, in, in fact in fact i find you know, some of the techniques that I've learned in the martial arts in terms of breathing to control frustration and ease tension and really ground when I would practice them. Yeah, it, it, um, it, there, was often, there was often ridicule coming from my father. Mm. Uh, all these silly techniques and things. I don't know what you're trying to prove type thing. But uh, so not, not, a very, not a very tight relationship okay. there, uh, in, those, in those years. That's, that's interesting as well, because like you said with your back injury breaking your back you know that that closed off some doors um but by your father maybe not providing that emotional support you were almost pushed inside of yourself to kind of find meaning yourself um and actually it's funny my, my wife and I were talking this morning over coffee about the, the, the centers you know and having like in, for my and I get a bit of context to that so um I've been teetotal for nine years um, I didn't have a drinking problem as far as I wasn't an alcoholic, um, but I drank three or four times a week, every week for, you know, for decades. Um, and um, 
but I felt one of the reasons I quit was number one I wrote some goals for myself that I I'm pretty stubborn and I stuck to them um <laughs> and I said to myself I wasn't gonna have a drink until I hit, hit the goals um but another thing was it, it became a center in my life where it was an artificial center where it was always there um <laughs> so you know good good day bad day you know you have a beer or you know glass of wine or whatever or or, or three and to actually create yourself as a center and that's kind of I guess where I am without talking about the religion and I my family were very religious and that was always the center but you know it's kind of been this deconstruction personally and but it seems like from from your experiences as a as a young person you found that you had you know you were working on yourself and the answers from your center um I don't know whether that sparks anything whether you can comment on on that at all or whether that's um maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree but no, n- not at all. Actually, there are a number of threads in my in, in my head at the moment that could spool off that statement. And it, it's um, taking it back to to that time of my life. Um, I increasingly uh, into my mid teens, even before I, I broke I, I broke my back, and I increasingly would find great comfort in solitude. Uh, so I, I was just strangely again this morning. I was just just as I came out of the shower, my wife and I were talking about it. Um, I think comparing me to my son as he walked off to school this morning quite early. Uh, so I often used to go off to school and I used to head into the library, take out a couple of good books because I knew at break time I'd like to just sit under a tree and read. And they were, I suppose, for that age, relatively advanced books. Mm. Um, and I just found great comfort in learning from you know, classical authors and, and their dissection of, of society and humanity that came across in hugely entertaining terms. So I would spend my time, yes, I had, I had a group of friends and such, but I wasn't overly reliant on them. And at that age, I recall being probably on the best of days, 50-50, oh, I'm a bit old, why am I so odd? Why don't I have friends? Versus the other 50% going, damn, I like my own company. <laughs> this is wow. really nice. Um, and that, that's actually perpetuated through and, and, and persists today. And, and, and the, the reason I say there are a number of threads that come off the statement you made is the, the, the central axiom of which the ultimate well-being model is built is that sense of, if you take that perspective on life, that your entire experience of life happens within here. Right. Mm-hmm. Stuff is triggered and initiated in terms of energetics and interactions in the so-called out there. But every experience we have of it is in here. Even mm-hmm. me hearing you coming through these, all this is doing is stimulating the tympanic, tympanic membranes. If I didn't have an auditory nerve running in there, there would be no sound. Mm-hmm. So by my physiology, I call into reality the concept of sound and I hear you in here because I have meaning that I can attach to the sounds you are sending me. So everything happens in here. So if we are happy and content with what goes on in here, this inner world doesn't matter the challenges we face in the so-called out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so you're that, bringing that's your strength from within. Yeah it's, 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 yeah, it's that power within. Yeah. Um, and actually then it, the, the interesting thing with that, um, I mean, I, I really like it. It's very, very powerful. You know, you're less affected or shaken by external forces. And it's also, it makes me think of, 
you know, if you look after yourself, you love yourself, take care of yourself, then you're going to be in a much stronger position to take care and love your loved ones or your friends or, or whatever, or, or actually give yeah. to the world a little bit. But if you're not um, fully um, strong in, inside, uh, or if you're trying to get your strength from external things, then you're weak, you know, um, and actually you'd have, you, you know, you might be thinking you're giving, but actually you're, you might be taking because you need more. It's, it's really, it's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that, that's, that's how I kind of understand it. That's my interpretation of what you just said. Okay. That's a, that's a very important distinction that you've, that you just hit there versus whether or not you're full and taking care of yourself from the inside, relying on external things to give you uh that sense of fulfillment that's a massively important distinction because if you rely on the external world to strengthen and energize you uh, yet uh, you're also trying to give into that external world you're effectively giving hollow core there's nothing in here so that's where burnout and depletion come from uh, so quite quite an important distinction it, that that's starting you know the old adage charity begins at home let's just Call this home for a moment, right? Give to yourself, you know, accept, embrace, and care for yourself. The energy rises and can naturally overflow to others rather than having to haul out something that's potentially not there. Uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a nice distinction you made there. I enjoyed that. So I've had a dog barking over here. So, uh, <laughs> so the delivery <laughs> had you on mute. Um, that, that's fascinating. So, so for, for our listeners out there, so um, let's talk about the, the Wim Hof method. Um, and actually, for our listeners, um, recently, the reason I, well, the reason, well, well big, mo- <laughs> the reason Will's on the show is that Will coached me recently on the, the Wim Hof method, the breathing on the ice, and it was, um, we can kind of dig into it. But um, yeah, so tell us about Wim Hof. Uh, yeah, about um, yeah, how you've taken these interests mm. to the next level. Uh, and then we can kind of, if you, if you like, we can talk about my experience because it was really quite profound. Um, yeah. And it definitely has given me a different perspective on life. It's just another little, it just opens your mind just that little bit more. It's just a, a door that I hadn't opened before. So, Yeah, yeah. And interestingly, once that door's open, it doesn't close very easily. <laughs> <That's a nice laughs> one. Um, so... Yeah, let, let's let's jump through a few decades from from you know, end of school. Blah, went through university, misfired on my first first year, restarted, finished, went into IT, and gradually moved up into running big transformation programs and designing organizations and enterprise architectures and systems and things, and became you know the typical extreme consultant type guy, um, the 16, 17 hour days. Um, commuting to different projects, different clients, sometimes different content continents to do that. Uh, and easily 15, 16, 17 years of my 23, 24 year career in that type of work was consulting or independent contracting um, where it was that kind of on the go all the time. Um, and I'm sure you got exposed to a yeah. lot of different organizations and lots of different people profiles you know yeah. the the AAA players, the you know the hustle, yeah. the the Absolutely. corporate pressures. So you, it sounds like, I mean that that's one interesting thing about the consulting consultants is that you you know typically you work in a company for five years, say, 
And if the company doesn't really change an awful lot, then you could actually argue that you've got a year of experience. You know, I mean, if you're in a very innovative and growth mm. culture, then you would have, you know, you could say actually that's five years. Um, yeah. But when you're a consultant, you're being exposed to multiple different environments. Um, yeah. So you're actually getting a lot more exposure, I think. Um, the learning and growth curve, it's not really a curve. It's like a, a vertical rocket boost. <laughs> you, you, you land in, in this so-called role of consultant. So you join company A um, and you go, for six months, you're doing a piece of work in, in a manufacturing retailer. Uh, and then you come off and you've got maybe a week of downtime. And in that downtime, you're researching and you're consolidating your learnings from that and you're creating stuff for others to use. Maybe you take a little bit of time off. And then you know, a week after that, you're on your next assignment and our supports authority and they need a new uh, vessel management system and, and the processes around that. And it's this and you go, okay, so there's the learning curve and then there's the, the execution of that. And it's a totally different environment because it's government or, 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 or parastatal versus, uh, you know, listed sort of retail. You go, oh. So that's different as well. Um, and exciting though. Uh, it's, constantly it's massively stimulating. exciting. Yeah. New project, fresh. From a learning perspective and, <laughs> yeah. I, and, and from meeting the people, and this is where I started to realize one of my key strengths and things I enjoyed, although I have somewhat of an introverted tendency time to time, I love meeting people, engaging with people, getting to know people and stimulating connection in people. And get, that, that, it's something that naturally I started to thrive on, which is, I think, what, what allowed me to progress quite nicely in, in, that, in that line. Um, and it, you know, moving, moving through those environments in different countries, I mean, the, the huge learnings about how organizations work versus should work or could work, um, how, you know, a large part of my work was in the regulatory and compliance and risk space as well. In fact, how I came to this country was off the back of the subprime crash in 2007-2008 for mm. the uh, liquidity and capital adequacy work in the insurance world and the solvency too. I came in to run a, a large sort of global systems and data program uh, for, for, a, for an insurer, uh, a global, a global uh, finance, finance conglomerate and insurer. So, um, so learning about those dynamics, the, the authentic behaviors in organizations versus the almost psychopathic behaviors in organizations, mm -hmm. how to recognize high function versus dysfunction and how to engage, those, those, those kind of things just naturally started to present and really added to the learnings. Um, so I'm hugely, hugely grateful for that exposure, that experience, and, and, and that aspect of, of my life. And mm. the price I paid for it, because of moving countries with a young family, uh, specifically, then getting into a new market, new players, learning new ropes, I hit a form of burnout that mm. I was made aware of by my spine which is a great, it's a great mm. watchtower, a great uh, sentinel for me almost on my overall mm. well-being. It, mm. it shouts once it's done whispering as to when I need to take it easy. Mm. Um, and I was, I was doing a big piece of work uh, ooh, a number of years ago, five, six years ago. And uh, my pop, I popped two discs in the middle of my spine. And I'm so it was huge, <laughs> excruciating. Sounds awful. <laughs> but it woke me up again. 
and it's your teacher you said you're your back's your teacher (laughs) exactly exactly put the brakes on this isn't working (laughs) (laughs) well it, it was it was literally like that and and um my wife would attest to it, you know, after the first day or three of me whinging and moaning about the pain and such, I suddenly you know, came to and I went, no, actually, I need to change stuff. Yeah, this is not just a once-off. This has been building to for a time, et cetera, et cetera. So I started searching for ways to get on top of what was by then quite a rampant arthritis in my spine mm. and blah. And I searched for arthritic treatment and I came across cold exposure. Then I further investigated cold exposure and who pops through the top of my list of Google results, uh, a video of some crazy Dutchman going, fool is in, fuck fear, yeah, give it all you got. And I'm going, all right, what's this about? <laughs> so I started practicing some of it. I had cold showers, bit of breathing, lovely. And it started to help a little bit, but you know, wasn't I hadn't fully committed to it. And then a friend of mine just bumped into her one day. She was she's a physio, and she said, uh, "What am I doing for my back?" And I said, "Cold exposure." And she said, "Oh, I'm going to this event with Wim Hof at the the what's it the Roundhouse in in um, oh what's that uh, that really cool spot in London? One of the I don't cool know. <laughs> it's probably uh, it's not, know. Notting, not not Notting Hill, the Camden Roundhouse okay. in Camden. Okay. And um, why don't I come along if there's a spare ticket? So I looked online, ah, there's a spare ticket, cool, went along. And I went in achy and oh, didn't feel great. My energy was low and, and such. And you know, typical whim. And one thing I've learned from him, which is great in this, is experience is everything. So um, in, in his typical fashion, he did a quick introduction about what the Wim Hof method is, how he came to it. And he says, and now we're going to breathe. And we breathed for easily an hour, just ramping it from basic breath all the way through to what is now known as the power breathing. We just ramped it through for an hour. And by the time I came out of that, I was floating. It's as if I couldn't feel my body, let alone have pain in it. Um, I got up, I was limber. Um, I was very centered and calm, incredibly calm. And I looked around me and there were various throws of what looked like either you know, ecstatic sort of just experience happening. People just standing there with big laughs coming out of them. My friend who was there to two, two sections down had then found me and came walking over to me. Tears of absolute just relaxation and bliss running down her face going, oh my God, that was amazing. Put her arms around me. We stood in a hug for about five minutes her partner then came up and sort of wrapped his arms around the chair. And it was one of those absolutely liberating, phenomenally physically healing experiences. And then I said, oh, so this ice bath thing on the roof in Feb, right? Coldest month of the year in this country, on the roof in Camden, ice bath. I went, yeah, no, I'm definitely doing that. Got into the ice. It felt like I was coming home. I looked at the instructor behind me and I said, can I stay in a bit longer? He said, no, two minutes. <laughs> but that was it. And I just I walked out of there going, I'm going to teach this. I signed up for the instructor track the next day. Huh. Um, yeah, I had the privilege of being trained by Wim on my advanced module, Instru, at his, at his facility and his home in, in, in Stru, in the Netherlands. Um, and then 2019, forget the month, 2019, yeah, it was mm, December, November, December. We were in um, Poland, in the snow, in the river, in the ice, 
doing it, walking up the mountain in nothing but shorts and sort of minus nine. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Yeah, not look back. It's been brilliant. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, and, and it's clearly helped your, um, sorry, it, and you've continued it to this day and you, so cold showers are part of your routine. Yeah, I would, I would show you literally just outside of this door over there. I'll take a picture of it and send it to you after. There's my shower. I, uh, I head out there first thing. And uh, fortunately, it's nice and leafy and enclosed in summer. So it's, as we say in South Africa, which means naked. Um, under the shower, my daughter can see me from her bedroom. She looks at me and she goes, oh, God. Uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, every, every morning. Um, and whenever I run a workshop, which is at least every four to six weeks, I, I do a, a relatively decent ice bath. Um, and uh, sometimes I do ad hoc ones myself, but it's the, it's the consistency of the daily practice that is, that I think uh, that, that's definitely given the benefit and, and actually what does give the benefit in this type of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess there's quite a, so the, the breathing piece. So um, as far as the physiological what, what happens to the body so you talked when when we met um a few several weeks ago when when i did it uh, went through the process with you um you were talking about um it's like over oxygenating your tissues um but there's a there's a certain process where um yeah you're you you breathe in and then you hold and then you breathe out and then you you hold and and then it kind of increases repetition um because mm. i mean i i am um, I guess if I, I guess I can share my experience. So do you want to just ad address what's happening in the body? And then I can talk about kind of what I experienced because, um, and then maybe that's something you can kind of dig yeah. into with me. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is an idea. I mean, yeah. 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 So, so um, there, there are a couple of sort of fundamentals or, or, or specific things that, that we're looking to do or achieve uh, when, when we do either the breathwork or the cold. Um, and you know, the net result of, of both of those is, is um, we, we introduce what's you know, a, a pure physiological stress into the body. When I say pure physiological stress, uh, one, of my, one of my trainers in TRE, uh, tension and trauma releasing exercises, would always look at me and go, there's no such thing as purely physical. <laughs> uh, but, but I say physiological or, or physical. So we, we, we try to activate our stress system in the body with a calm mind. Normally, when we get stressed, okay, um, our mind starts to run away with us. Mm. We get a little bit of fear spiking, a little bit of heart rate increasing, a little bit of tension in the body, and we can do all sorts of things if our mind isn't in a settled, centered space. So, the breath work, firstly, by being conscious breath work, just by bringing our attention and our awareness to the breath, we start to elevate the parts of the brain that are more awareness focused so we start to make ourselves mm. more present and aware mm -hmm. the moment we do that we start to trigger different uh, uh, responses in the nervous system to get us to a more calm state psychologically even while the body is being stressed slightly that's that's the one thing um so so introducing some calm focus and mindset the the second thing that we do and why we breathe fully in and just let go like that is because whenever we breathe in extremely and fully like that, specifically through the mouth, we activate our stress system, our sympathetic nervous system. So the bit that starts to release adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol, et cetera, and then have some knock-on effects. So long, slow exhalation relaxes us, does the opposite. 
parasympathetic, mm. slowing it down, reducing adrenaline, more adrenaline cortisol. So what we want to do, we want to get more stress into the body. So we breathe fully in right to the top of the lungs and we just let go, let go. So that's activating the stress system. But that pattern of breathing also gets a lot of oxygen into the system, doesn't get rid of all of that residual oxygen, but helps us get rid of some CO2. So we start changing the chemistry of our body, not only by getting those hormones released, but also by slowly reducing the CO2, actually quite rapidly reducing the CO2, the carbon dioxide. And as we do that, you can't really increase the, the oxygen in the blood. Right? When you breathe in, your blood grabs as much oxygen as it can onto the red blood cells. So your saturation in your blood is always going to be about 98, 99% saturated. Mm -hmm. Okay. In, a, in an average healthy human okay. being. Um, but what you do by decreasing the CO2 level mm -hmm. is you change the alkalinity in your tissues. And then when you hold your breath, you bring that CO2 back up, that triggers a release of oxygen from the blood, red blood cells even more. And that goes straight into your tissues again. So you get a significant alkalinity shift. You get a lot of oxygen in the tissue around the actual cells where the mitochondria are. The mitochondria are the little parts of the body that actually you know, create energy for you, right? They're, mm. they're the ones that actually drive the metabolic process in terms of energy uh, provision or creation provision into the system. So you get all that oxygen there where you need it. You get a highly alkaline environment. So your cells work optimally. You can't work mm -hmm. that well when it's too acidic. Uh, that's the basis, right? That's, that's the basis of what you're doing when you breathe that way. Now, yes, the, yeah, yeah the, the brain activity starts to shift as well. And we can explore that maybe once you've gone through what you experienced on the day, because not all of it was physical sensation. There was a sense of, from what I recall, you and, and some others on the day felt a sense of, wow, really nice feeling and calm and focused and really here and now and such. So there was that kind of feeling to things as well. And maybe, maybe we can talk about the brain shifts and the activity shifts and what happens uh, once you've given a bit of your story. Yeah. So I, what I would say is um, I was, I was in, interested in that you, you kind of broke the breathing up into three parts, you know, as far as learning how to breathe and is that full breath, um, but really kind of really taking it in. And I, I think that's almost, that's unnatural. Um, Cause I mean, I wouldn't say I was a shallow breather, but I, I certainly don't use my full lung capacity like that. Um, I found it quite tiring, you know, when you were going through the breathing um, I could handle the five breaths in, um, but when it came to like 30 breaths in and holds and, it, you know, I found it like, when's this going to end? But then it kind of broke through that. Um, and then I think the last, I think you did three sets of 30 breaths in. I can't remember exactly. Um, mm -hmm. But I think when it came to the last set, um, my, my mind kind of left my body. Um, and I believe I wasn't breathing for quite a long time. I, I know there were some folks in the class that, you know, were not breathing for a few minutes. I don't know whether I was in that category, but it certainly, I wasn't aware. I think I stopped breathing, um, but I was like above my body, um, completely out. I mean, in a floating around, completely detached from my body. <laughs> um, and that was surreal. And then when I came back down to earth, um, I did feel, ex I mean, exhilarated but I did feel the calm and I can see how the breathing happens 
it's why you do the breathing before the ice because you're going into the ice you know in a in a calmer state um but the fact that it was you know hard work to maintain the breathing but then having that weird out of body sensation and then actually realizing that actually I probably wasn't breathing but but you know as you just described my body had enough you know you're you're changing the chemistry in your body so there's mm. there is that physiological thing happening um so actually you don't need to breathe because your body's got enough and low co2 and you know this um, presumably this alkaline environment yeah. and everything else um but that awareness piece so that that was kind of my yeah and and i felt great i mean like amazing happy calm you know my 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 brain was firing and all cylinders all these great ideas you know it was amazing and and i think that was yeah the breathing piece it's it was mind-blowing um and it's fresh air there's no drugs drugs involved Uh, (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, just amazing yeah yeah, so just just let's pick up on that one and then we'll work our way backwards to what you through what you've just said is um you might have seen Wim has this or at least the Wim Hof company and such have this range of apparel. One of the one of the t-shirts is a set of lungs that then would get high on your own supply. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> Written yeah. on it. And um and and that's that actually that actually happens, right? And like briefly, yeah, yeah, he said, challenge me to go briefly, he said. Um go through what's actually happening in terms of the feel good and 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 that that sense but you also talked about the awareness element of things that i'd like to to touch on at a point as well but the when we stimulate our bodies like this and we introduce that degree of of stress and we're talking about an excess of 150 200 percent rise in adrenals from this breathing um which is quite significant um that's a relatively extreme level of stress we're putting into the body. And what the brain does in response to that is it, it adopts a state of what's called transient hypofrontality. Great. The transient means it'll come and go. Uh, hypo means below or low. Uh, frontality. So for a short while, the front of our brain just reduces activity. Great. When that happens, the reason that happens is because a slightly more primal part of our brain takes over. And this is where you'll hear Wim saying things like, you get into the ancient brain, you go deep, yeah, which is what you do. So we activate parts of the brain that are much more about the body and awareness and presence in the body and regulation of the body and the insula and in the brain stem and such. So they take over a little bit. Another part of the brain that shuts down a bit is one of the core three elements of the, of the limbic system, which is the amygdala. Uh, the amygdala, a lot of people think of as the fear center of the brain. It's not really the fear center of the brain. It's one of our surveillance centers in the brain. So it's constantly processing data that's coming in subconsciously or pre-consciously to determine the shifts that are happening in our environment. And those shifts you know, will either be something that no, we don't have to worry about or something that sparks an element of the consideration of threat that may give rise to fear. Right? So, but that shuts down a little bit as well. So in terms of our, set, our level of fear and anxiety, that drops. Our level of cognitive or prefrontal cortical activity, so our thinking brain, our narrative yesterday, tomorrow, temporal brain shuts down. Right? So worry and regret become a little bit less. And the part of our brain that is responsible, two parts of our brain that are responsible for here and now presence and monitoring of the body step up and they become more active. 
So through that breathing, we come super present because our awareness sets into our body. And our body can't time travel into tomorrow and it can't time travel to yesterday. It's in the physical world. It's here and now. So mm-hmm. if our attention and our brain becomes more focused on our body, our attention and our brain becomes more focused on here and now, which is presence, which is why you can sit there and you can go, all of a sudden, from this point of presence and lower distraction, your awareness expands and you go, wow, I'm now so much more aware of things around me. So that's one, one of the things that happens. And that's because of the increase in the stress hormones in the body and the shifts in blood flow that then activate and deactivate different parts of the brain. Um, <clears throat> and one of the, the other knock-on effects that you, that you mentioned, um, which was that yeah, you felt great and, and wow, it was amazing. And there were no drugs involved. There were actually drugs involved. The only difference is your body created them in the form <laughs> of sort of fairly high doses of endorphin that you triggered okay, gotcha. in your body. So I mentioned the insula in the brain gets activated. Another part of the brain that gets activated is called the periaqueductal gray. Great. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't ask me to repeat that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's um, part of its response is also body awareness and regulation, but it also is responsible for triggering and regulating the release of endorphins uh, things like um, our own endogenous form of opium called an uh, endo-opioid likewise oh, our wow. own endogenous version of cannabis called an endocannabinoid right, so what starts to happen is these start to flush into the system into the blood and if you continue it long enough which i think you might have in your instance it gets into the cerebrospinal fluid so that's the fluid that bathes the brain and the spinal cord and what happens then is your sensation of attachment to your body is lessened. So you start okay. to get this slightly physical dissociative feeling where I'm not actually in my body anymore. <laughs> that's, that's what I, that is exactly yeah. what happened to me. So how weird, it's, how weird. It's um, from a, from a mental well-being perspective, you, you can get to a very, wow, that's quite nice. And a very relaxed state. Um it's um it's probably one of the one of the more common points of feedback that i get in the workshops is wow i feel amazing and calm yep. and focused and energized at the same time yep it's it is a strange combination yeah but it's also really valuable for the top-down regulation of chronic pain so that is mm. what changed was a game changer for me mm-hmm. with my back so the story i told of my first real breathing session yep. with women yep. leading that's how you felt Halfway through that, I told you I couldn't feel my body, let alone pain. Yeah, yeah. yeah since yeah. since doing Similar. that breathing, I don't use painkillers anymore. Yeah, you don't. For, well, you don't need them. My spine. <laughs> I don't need to. I yeah. breathe. I, yeah. I breathe it away. Literally, I breathe yeah. it away. Yeah, it is, so it is it, absolutely it, incredible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it really was profound. I mean, obviously, you you are listeners can. I mean, yeah, it's real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you remembering it's, it's it now fresh as well. air. The, the look on your face, the look, the look on your face. I can see you. There's a, a little bit of that feelings coming back for you now. You've got that smile on your face, and the eyes are a little bit like they were when 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 you were there. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah, um, actually, I jumped into a cold pond this morning. It wasn't quite the ice bath. Um, yeah, and I need to do. I, that's what I need to do. Like I mentioned when I when we spoke um, a couple of weeks ago, um, me personally, I would like to build 
talk about building good habits, good routines um, into your into your life. It's a lifestyle, isn't it? Yeah. So, okay, the, the cold pond's a great start. I've been doing that for a few months. Um, but I think the breathing piece is something, and actually that had the biggest impact. It's just finding what works. Um, and I think the one thing that's held me back has been, I think it would be harder for me to do it on my own, but I think I need to get some audio or some, you know, a, a recorded breathing thing um, to actually to do it. Because I, I think if I'm just told what to do, then it's just easier to regulate, to figure out how many breaths I've done. And otherwise I'm then focusing on how many breaths versus actually just focusing on breathing. So but that's, uh, that, that's, uh, that, that, that's quite pivotal though, because if you're trying to do that all yourself, you're engaging a part of the brain that is all about action, 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 control, 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 focus, mm -hmm. focus, focus. Whereas what we want to achieve is we want to literally let that go. Yes. We don't yes. want that part of the brain to be ongoing all the yes. time. So yeah. this is, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I need to be able to establish this all by myself and such. And yes, you can do it. But yeah. the only way I successfully do the breathing is I plug in my headphones and I put on a clip of Wim taking me through four advanced retention rounds of the basic breathing. And I tune out and there's a little bit of yeah. hand pan music going on in the background. And there's his voice coming through every now and then going, you're almost there. <laughs> okay well that's what i need to do <laughs> i haven't done that yet i'm making that leap no it's it's you, not yet you, you want you want to let go you, you want yes, to you be do. able to let go and, and yeah. this is this is the beauty of this is the beauty of the method as well and and and, and one of the critical elements right at the center of the ultimate, ultimate well-being model and, and interestingly i had i devised that model before i think 14 years ago 15 years ago i think i was telling you yes um, i devised the model and right in the middle of it was we're not in control. So stop trying to control stuff. Yeah. Even, yeah. even the hair on your head, you are not growing it. It grows. Yeah. Right? You are not seeing me now. Seeing is happening. Right? Everything is happening. Mm -hmm. um, a friend of mine was telling me about the tragic incident uh, the other day. Uh, he, he'd seen a friend of his, uh, he'd seen a friend of his two days um prior to to that friend getting on his motorcycle and just going a short trip around the corner and getting sideswiped by a car and now he's dead mm -hmm. right? there are so many things in life that we can't control we don't control yep. and it's okay to let go so being yep. led in breathing and fully letting go is not only momentarily a good practice for the physical and, and psychological benefits you get but in terms of a practice for learning to let go and actually not have to control everything in life, just let it go. Yeah. I think the awareness piece is, is really key for me. Um, and we, you know, we live in a very distracted world um, and, you know, we can be busy fools, not really being aware of things. And I think mm -hmm. um, that's kind of where I am on my journey. It's just rather than have one foot dragging in the past or looking too far ahead in the future, when you know right here right now this is what we've got um and anything and actually i think um you know i have the odd occasional cigar i know it's not particularly healthy but i think what i like about smoking a cigar is i'm generally in the in the moment and i normally you know have someone share one with me and and i'll have that, those conversations but it's almost like that it's almost like a little ritual of being in the moment but why not be in the moment all the time you know i know it's yeah. easier said than done but i think the breathing it's you know it's fresh air right it's it's good for you <laughs> and there's lots of benefits yeah. so yeah. okay so um 
so moving from the breathing, let's now go into the ice. So we've done the breathing, you know, we've stressed the body enough, um, but we've, we're also calm, you know, our, our, our tissue is oxygenated. We've got the high alkaline, you know, we're, we're, we're in the zone. Um, and then you walked us through, maybe we could touch on this, the, the exercises that are done before you get into the ice, into the ice to, can you talk about that as far as it, this isn't for the, you know, you need to know what you're doing when you get into it. Can we just maybe, maybe for our listeners out there, yeah. Yeah. Um, some of the things that they need to be aware of um, if they're going to, well, for those that try and do it. <laughs> it I'm not going to try and recall what I took you through specifically, but it's generally going to be focused on the two main things that I take everyone through. Right. When, when, when we go through the ice, because it's the two most important things. And they're, 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 equally, they're, they're equally important. I can't, I can't elevate one above the other. Uh, the one is about how to get into the ice and be in the ice. And the other one is what to do when you get out of the ice. Um, and if I start at the end, it's yeah. it, one of the, in, in fact, if, if you would, uh, I might've said this on, on the evening because I do have a few cliches that I drop in from time to time, um, is if there's ever going to be a competition on any, any aspect of the Wim Hof method, it's how, how well and how rapidly you can rewarm yourself after the ice. I mean, proper mm. rewarm yourself. Mm. Um, and, and when we rewarm ourselves after getting out of the ice bath, um, we don't go to any external heat sources. We don't use towels and dry ourselves off and wrap ourselves in them. We don't get dressed immediately into warm clothing, etc. because um, the warm clothing does nothing unless your body's warm already, because all clothing does is trap. Um, is heat sources like standing next to a fire after an ice bath it's it's actually potentially dangerous mm. to do that uh, because you've been in such an extreme cold environment that you, your your body's responded by vasoconstricting or shutting off the blood set the blood vessels in your extremities and close to the surface of the skin and it does that to preserve your core temperature so it shuts off blood supply there. So blood doesn't carry heat to that part of your body and the heat doesn't get lost. It's still, there is this intermittent vasodilation that happens. So it, every now and again knows to just send a little spurt of heat or spurt of blood and oxygen and nutrients to those tissues so that the tissues don't suffer, but then it shuts it off immediately again, right? And then all the, 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 the heat is, is concentrated into the core and into the big muscles because you need to be able to stay warm and get out of that situation. Mm. Now, what happens after two or so minutes in the ice is those parts of your body get really, really cold, very cold. So the hands and feet, lower limbs and forearms are the parts of the body that get the coldest and take the longest to warm up generally. So now you get out of, the, out of the ice bath and you take a towel and you start vigorously rubbing it, you're sending a message inadvertently to your system to say, oh, I'm safe. Mm -hmm. I can open up all my blood vessels. The risk and the threat is gone, but you're not warm yet. This is still frigid. You've been in a temperature of about 0 0.5 degrees. So the warm blood from your core goes out through to those really cold limbs, cools down, mm -hmm and then comes back into your core and drops your core temperature. Yeah, so that's, that's the dangerous it. part. That's the dangerous part, right? So inadvertently thinking you're just drying yourself and warming yourself, even standing by a fire, senses the heat, opens up 
the blood vessels. The tissue is not warm yet. Blood goes through. You get what's called an after drop. And I always explain it like after the ice, the core temperature drops, after drop. Um, and, and that can be fatal because if, you're, if your core temperature drops below 35.5 degrees-ish, it doesn't come back up without external intervention. So heating blankets, body heat sharing, uh, some sort of, of temperature and resuscitative type uh, um, activity. Very few people uh, can actually consciously then engage their autonomic nervous system and then reheat through breath and visualization and muscular contraction below that and, and bring that temperature back up again. Um, very, very few. You can probably count them on a hand and have a finger. Oh, really? Left okay. Um, so, yeah, so, so it's not it's not 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 something to be to mess with, and there are techniques. Yeah, that you have to do as we exactly. did um, to actually warm yourself up from the inside out. Otherwise, you could exactly. be in a bit of trouble. Yeah, and it's like so you, the, you meant use the example of folks jumping in the sea and then getting wrapped up with a towel, and they're like shivering on the. You know, that's they're going about it the wrong way. Basically, there's there's a better way to get. Yeah, warm there's a. That. There's a way that will give you a, a more pleasant experience after your swim. Yeah. So I have cold water swimmers who come on the, the courses with me and then uh, they look at me afterwards and they go, I'm not shaking at all. I can go for a swim just in, in 12, 13 degree water in the ocean or in a river. And I get out and I wrap myself up and for 45 minutes or an hour afterwards, I'm shaking. Right? Mm -hmm. And I go, yeah, because you haven't created heat in your system. And unless you do that, you wrap yourself up. You're not retaining any heat because there's no heat to retain. Yeah. So, uh, okay. In fact, there was one one guy we won't mention names uh, on <laughs> on 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 the session that you were on, who who didn't pay enough attention to the mechanical rewarming and the horse stance, which is that you know yes. standing in a horse stance like the Karate Kid, looking like a mm -hmm. bit of a twit from time to time, but it works. He didn't do it, and about 45 minutes later, he was still shivering around the fire. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's really important. It really yeah. is important. Yeah. So let's talk about getting in the ice then, because this is, you know, again, it was a really interesting experience. I've never ever plunged myself into 0.5 degree um, temperature before my, my entire body. Um, I know you do it all the time. And um, so from what I observed, so I, I, I felt very calm because I did the breathing uh, and actually, but it, it, it the first 45 seconds is pretty brutal. I, I mean, it was, it's a shock, um, but uh, it, it almost strips everything away. So all you could, you can just feel the cold. Um, you're definitely in the moment. I think there's not time to, or that, you know, you don't think about anything else, which again is, is quite a strange phenomenon. Um, but I did witness folks. Um, yeah. They, they, they react in different ways. Um, can you talk about how we, like the emotion, how people store their emotions and, and perhaps what, what the ice can do. Um, I didn't have that experience as far as I was re relatively calm. Um, and actually, I think next time I do it, I'd like to do a bit longer than a couple of minutes. I think I, I, think I could do a couple, you know, I think I could go a bit longer. But um, can you talk about that piece? Because that's, that's quite fascinating. And just watching people's reactions, maybe you could provide some examples of how, you, you know, what you've seen folks experience and do and, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, I suppose uh, it, it's probably 
I'm about this afternoon to start writing a, a short article on on the physiology of retained emotion and trauma. So yeah, yeah. it's a good, it's a good, it's a good primer to get the thinking. Give us some spoilers. If you think about if you think about what we feel in various layers, you know, we have a sensation yeah, that then can potentially bring about an emotive shift, a physiological shift or an emotion in the body. Then we can attach some sort of meaning or memory to that shift, and that brings about a, a feeling, a remembered uh, the thing that we that we often refer to as a very strong emotion. Um, so feeling has multiple layers if we look at it, and, and if we look at if we look at that 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 chain from sensation or experience of something in the moment or in a moment. If we're having an, a, a, a relatively extreme experience, and let's, let's imagine, let's imagine it's, it's highly stressful, it's not very pleasant, and we um, we are instinctively driven to sort of protect ourselves from that, and, and even you know, women in certain in certain types of childbirth, highly traumatic childbirths, people who've had uh, vehicle accidents and had to recover from it. Uh, people who've been assaulted physically or sexually, their bodies will do something to protect them against that experience. Um, and mm. I'm using extreme mm. examples here now to get a point across. So one of the things that happens is um, we get into an extreme stress activation. So that sympathetic uh, nervous system response, a very extreme version of that takes us to a point of um, either a freeze or a collapse state. Uh, and it bypasses certain parts of the brain. So normally we'd have this experience that comes into our into body through sensation or through or perception, stimulation, et cetera. It would be a mildly exciting experience. Different parts of our brain, specifically the hippocampus and such would be involved in, in some of the emotive modulation. And then it will go into the Gnostic and narrative centers of the brain and we'd be able to make meaning of it. And through that making meaning, it settles into something we've experienced and that emotion doesn't necessarily get unduly retained in the body, it can just flow through. Now, what happens in an extreme case is those Gnostic and narrative centers are excluded. Mm. You don't have time to get logical about something extremely stressful. Mm -hmm. The body has to help you survive. The way mm -hmm. it does that, it'll take you to a place of extreme stress activation isolate some of the parts of the brain and your experience of that uh, event stays in the sensory areas of the brain. So the parts of the brain that are being stimulated at the moment hang on to a fragmented memory of that experience. You go, okay, so what? Now, so that's an experience maybe 10 years ago. Now you get into an ice bath. <laughs> and it's a highly stressing experience, a highly stressing event, stressing event, 0 0.5 degrees, you're in there too long, it's, it's, it's life-threatening. Your body has some of the similar responses. Heart rate elevates significantly, certain muscles tighten up. Maybe there was water in this event in the past, and there's water in the ice bath. So a similar set of sensory stimuli come in, and those memory fragments boom, come straight back into your system. And all the emotive element of that comes with it. Now, again, just gets relived because again, you're in a very stressful situation and you don't allow yourself necessarily to process it unless you remain 
calm. You keep the mind calm. Mm. So getting into the ice bath is, again, it's a matter of you want to stress the body with a calm, focused mind, which is why I teach a different breath work before we get into the ice. It's mm -hmm. that in, slowly out, focused, calm. In, focused, out, slow, calm. So when you get in, you're very present, same parts of the brain engaged, very aware of the body. This time, that stimulus, that sensory stimulus can get processed and you can actually have that release, which we saw one or two of that evening. And most recently here in the neighboring village where I run a number of workshops, there were a couple of them as well, where people had quite significant emotive releases from being in an ice bath with a calm mind. So rather than having those parts of the brain shut off because of that stress response, they have a heightened awareness mm -hmm. and you're able to process what the body is giving you and effectively allow it to come out. Uh, so it's quite a it's quite a powerful process for some people so let me ask so that what you just said was kind of quite interesting so um so it, it kind of is this say not watershed moment but it, it does release it does kind of leave the body in a way or, or would the same person have the same emotional response they did it a second time or do you think if they like like what the um one memorable thing that i witnessed was one lady she relived childbirth and she actually was almost behaving like she was in childbirth which was really bizarre um but i think it was really healing for her because it seemed like that was kind of let go yeah uh, and then she was calm and she felt i mean i met afterwards she you know felt amazing and yeah um but it was a surprising reaction she wasn't expecting it um and it happened and i saw yeah. it and that, and that is that is one of the that is one of the cathartic um effects that this can have is what what is uh locked away procedural memory of something that you just respond in that way and, and it's let's, let's guess or speculate that that version that that instance of childbirth for her was very traumatic and possibly physically damaging and then afterwards she had to hold her body in a certain way out of fear of certain things happening or didn't feel confident in the body mm -hmm. etc or just again that that absence of the the opportunity to cognitively process something that had happened meant that the body was just doing what it thought it needed to do so it, it had this fragmented sensory memory retained and then at a procedural memory level it was just always would respond in the same way now going through a similar kind of stressful situation the opportunity to have that procedural response come up but be aware of it and consciously let it go that's the transformative moment that an ice bath can bring you. It's a very extreme way to do it, but maybe it's necessary. But it can bring you that if you go into it with that really calm mind or you can attain a calm way of being in the ice. Well, I, I did also observe that, you know, when your I don't know, students <laughs> were going through these experiences, um, you did coach them to relax and kind of let it go. And, that, and they did you know but it didn't happen immediately and actually probably without that extra bit of guidance um maybe they wouldn't have known how to handle it but um mm. so do you think that it, it is released there and then or do you think it's still or, or, or would it take several ice baths to actually fully deal with it have you experienced that the same person that had the original trauma going back in and maybe it's something you could talk about your own experiences because um of your 
you know, with your back and, and everything, I'm, I presume, well, has that ever come up when you've, the first time you went into an ice bath, did, did that come up, the trauma that you had with your back or did it, did you, did you experience different? So interestingly, I think my first experience, I was so bloody high from the breathing that no, <laughs> even if it did, even if it, it you know, my body was tweaking a bit, I was going, yeah, I see, but it's okay, man. Yeah. Um, I, it might've been a bit of that, but um, the, the early, early ice baths for me, uh, no, um, okay. I, I didn't have that. Although um, there was a period where when I was still at Dyson in that in that um, exec role uh, uh, in the change and data role, um, I there was a lot of stress at work and stress on the home front with marriage troubles and and such and and I was holding a lot of that stress in the same part of my back that was injured mm, and that, that's my that's my go to I brace that part of my spine when I feel physically or psycho emotionally threatened. That's what braces in me. And this is one of the things. This is that procedural memory that kicks in when there's a certain level of stress or compromise to the organism. That procedural memory will kick in and just go tighten it up. Trying to do ice baths then uh, was almost impossible for me because it kept tightening that sensation. Mm. And I couldn't separate, couldn't separate it at all. Mm. Um, and I woke up early one morning, as, as one does sometimes when you go, oh, crap, that's what's causing it. Mm, and I had a bit of realization, did a meditation yeah. and a check-in, a journaling session, got into an ice bath later that day, and then just was in for like 20 minutes. And I was, yeah, this is cool. I can mm. do that. So it was a different type of processing and process that was triggered in me. Um, mm. The the most transformative um, response or, or experience I've had with the Wim Hof technique was was in Poland when I was doing the, the master's module qualifying as an instructor. We'd come down from the mountain after the epic hike up and down in virtually no clothing. And <laughs> sorry, it just it sounds it's, and boots. <laughs> it's, crazy. it's great fun though. It's amazing. But the common man is like that's kind of like that's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> But then you see, then you see a group of sixty people doing it, and you go, "They're actually not special. These are just no. regular people who've learned to do something in their bodies. That's it." Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. But coming down from that, we did some breathing, and um, I think I had an extreme version of what you experienced when when I took you through it. In that, if the entire room was me, and I, I, I was. I was blubbering for hours afterwards it was, it was mm. initially a disturbing but ultimately a beautifully pleasant experience yeah just releasing yeah. it's better out than in as they say and this is just <laughs> a tool i think you talked about these different tools you know breathing's a tool the ice bath's a tool mm. i think then under having that understanding about what's going on um and how, and how it, yeah it's, it's really interesting yeah wow yeah. well that's um mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, just just linking it back to I think one of your opening questions or comments and such is how the hell did I get from global change and data director to doing this? Is that one of the things that I've witnessed a lot, especially in corporates, especially on really pressured programs of change and transformation in organisations, is um, the threat that people can feel under, even. When there isn't an explicit threat, it's just the pressure, the need to perform constantly and consistently, the the, uh, 
sometimes in organization trying to do something that outstrips their maturity in terms of ways of working and doing and thinking and being and and they they don't have a supportive environment not that they set out to be unsupportive it's just that they don't realize it's important to create a supportive environment to do extreme things um, and then you start to see people starting to feel overwhelmed unsupported helpless and such and you go okay if we bring it back to what you said about relying on things outside of yourself to feel safe and well and content actually it doesn't work in an environment like that so if we can build that into ourselves in every aspect of life to actually have these tools and have this knowledge of what works for us to be centered to be calm to be at ease and to be strong and to be focused oh what an amazing world mm. yeah it's just what what can't you do so that, that might be a good segue um, I'm not sure whether it's under the ultimate wellness, your ultimate wellness brand. Um, but I know that your consulting guidance or coaching can actually work within corporate environments. So can you give an example of perhaps how you've worked with a corporate team of high achievers or, or maybe they're, you know, and, and what kind of transformation is that? Is that something that your, your services or your business is, is interested in it? in um is that is that what you do i'm i'm just thinking out loud really can you talk about how this can be applied to the corporate setting where you've got these highly competitive environments and what kind of change could you um help an organization go through Uh, i mean obviously they want to perform but sometimes as you touched on a minute ago a lot of the a lot of it's artificial and, and it's not really authentic. So, I mean, from what I'm hearing is it's, it's almost like back to the, that authentic human connection and, and grounding. And I think if, if, a, if a team or, you know, a group of human beings can actually have these experiences, perhaps they, they might, that, that trust might be built faster and they might actually perform better. Um, yeah. Am I getting, am I on the right track? Yeah. So, I could probably mention a couple of examples of that, but the premise is, is sound, I think, in that, um, you, know, f- you know, regardless, regardless, you know, the environment or the setting, if you really want to perform and, 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 and achieve and progress, you need to push beyond the boundary. Right? You need to look at a boundary. You don't have to push too radically beyond it, but you need to be confident enough, even in the face of, you know, risk and threat and potential fear, you need to be confident enough to just step over the boundary and go, right, we're here now and we've got here because we're here and I'm, I'm okay stepping beyond this boundary now any in any creature and, and it's been studied in various various animals and observed in various settings in humans and such is is in terms in, in order to to take that step across the boundary you need to have a sense of safety right mm-hmm. and safety doesn't mean absence of risk mm-hmm. it just means that even though there's a risk and i can see the risk etc cetera, etc cetera, i still feel okay i can take that step yeah. If I lost an arm, would I survive? Yep. <laughs> well, it's, 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 Again, it's, it's like, am I willing yeah. to lose an arm? Yep. <laughs> or not? Am I aware or... that actually I may lose an arm, but in the bigger scheme of things, that risk is worth taking given what we could achieve. That's an extreme way of putting it, but I've, mm-hmm. I've worded it specifically in terms of awareness, mm-hmm. right? And consideration and boldness to actually take the step, even though you've considered what you've become aware of. Mm-hmm. So it's... Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's those kind of things where you know, that, that's a sense of safety in the workplace, for example, that, that you could look at, or safety in a relationship. But let's look at the workplace environment where you know, workplace safety 
is a huge thing on people's agendas. You know, how do you, especially now after COVID, where you look at, well, you have people coming into the in, into the workplace, and I've just been approached by the CFO of a of a of a, uh, a payments processing uh, business who who inherited a team when he joined the company some three years ago, two and a half, three years ago, that he doesn't recognize now because of their behaviors. Now mm. that they're coming back into the office and the company is pushing to get people back in the office and oh, just carry on, COVID's over. And I look at this and I go, yeah. And he dis- it displays, the, it explains the behaviors to me, it describes them to me. I say, well, you might have this here, this here, this here, but it's all based on a sense of fear and uncertainty that are in people defensive behaviors, unwillingness to adopt a change agenda, or they just want to focus on a, a, a narrow focused view of this is all I need to do. It's playing it safe, not wanting to step across boundaries. Mm-hmm. So looking at how these techniques can get you to a place of personal safety and therefore collective safety in a work environment is huge application. Yep. Um, and then from that, growing that well-being through helping people understand, well, if you hold your posture like this all the time, it's a defeatist posture. You're sending your system a message that I need to be small. And then it starts to neurochemically shift you to being timid and afraid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. sit up straight, stand up, move about, get outside. Mm-hmm. It stimulates the body to be strong and at ease and healthy, right? And, and even just this co-regulation that I've just initiated with you, as I sat up and said things, I saw you adjust your posture and sit up a little mm-hmm. bit. Sure, just yeah. demonstrating and holding these things just starts to rub off on other people. Mm-hmm. So you start to create an environment where people feel safer, become well, and then, like you said, creativity opens up. Mm-hmm. Your experience was you had all of these ideas, creative this, and things started coming to you. When you're safe and well in yourself, inspiration, creativity, the desire to connect and collaborate are natural knock-on effects. So who doesn't want a team in their environment who wants to connect with the other people, wants to collaborate with them, and has all of this creativity spurting forward because they're well and safe in that environment? So yeah, it has huge application. Um, and it's, it's work that I want to do much more of uh, and, and um, hopefully start to do more of over the coming months and years. So yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing. You can, yeah. Yeah, you can inspire and, and touch these other human beings, and it, it's a, it's great work. Uh, it's been um, I know we're kind of coming to the end of our time. Um, it's time's flown. I mean, I must admit, it's been a, an absolute yeah. pleasure talking to you, Will. And um, so, a couple of things: um, if you were to um, give our, our our listeners out there, so just to give you an idea, our listener base right now is sixty percent female. Um, I think we're in 55 countries um, and most are between the ages of 18 and 30 ish. Um, 50% of UK, I think 16% of US. Um, I mean, just a bit of, and actually our listeners might be interested too, to know the kind of the demographics. If you could provide any parting wisdom to our listeners, what would that be? So given that age demographic, there are probably two, two things that I could say. One, one is uh, the, the age you're at now is the time to invest in establishing these really, really good practices that will see you through the rest of your life. Right? And, and why, why I say that is these simple breathwork movement and, and you know, cold exposure, for example, practices and getting into nature, nature will start to wire your nervous system in a way 
that will become its default way of behaving and acting, which is calm, strong, confident, and at ease. Right? And, and, and that age group, 18 to 30-ish, once you get past that and some of the habits that you form in that period set in, they're incredibly difficult to start changing. So now's the time to invest in this type of practice, a simple 20 to 25 minutes, 30 minutes a day, that will gradually condition and rewire your nervous system to give you strength, confidence, and ease. Mm. That's, that's, yeah, that's really, that's really good advice. It's very insightful. Um, and actually, as I mean, I'm, I'm 46 and for those older listeners out there, it's never too late to start. Because... <laughs> um, I have another, another question as well. Um, and it, this is actually stolen from Peter Thiel or Thiel, Peter Thiel. Is that how you pronounce his name? Um, Thiel. What do you know to be, true that very few people agree with you on oh how controversial can i be <laughs> what a nice question what do i know to be true that very few people agree with me on uh, there is no me and there is no you and there is no me without you i just know it i've experienced it i've felt it um this thing of separateness is illusion it's complete illusion and that makes for interesting dinner time conversation. Yeah, I want to do. Yeah, well, <laughs> when we meet again, but let's, let's dig into that one. That's, that's interesting. Um, and um, any books There's that you've read? Of things the, out of <laughs> yeah. And um, has there been any um, books I mean, that you've read in the last five years that have had a you know an, a, an impact on you? Hopefully, a positive impact. Let's say um, can be fiction yeah. or non-fiction. So um, let's talk about let's talk about. Uh, I find I read very little fiction, actually. So, so nothing in the last five years has been fiction that I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, two, two books that I think would make a huge, huge difference and meaningful to me. One is um, uh, the Surrender Experiment by okay. Mickey Singer. Uh, it's a follow-on to to follow on to his his in his initials, a really well-selling book called The Untethered Soul. So let's take a two for one on that one. Mickey Singer, Untethered Soul and the Surrender Experiment. Very, very, very good. And then a very, a very um, informative book on on all things neuroscience and how the brain adapts to certain circumstances uh, written in a very, a very accessible way Hmm. is How the Brain Heals uh, Hmm. by uh, Norman Deutsch. Okay. Uh, very, very, very good, very good and easy to access books. The Mickey Singer books are really nice to read. Okay, uh, or listen to if you if you if you have uh, if you have Audible. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd go with those. Okay, um, and I have one final question. So, um, if you were to meet for some of a coffee, anyone, who who would that be? Funny, someone asked me this question the other day. Um, they had a picture of a park bench and said, if you could sit there for a few hours and just shoot the breeze with someone, who would be? And without even hesitating, I said, Madiba, Nelson Madikizela Mandela. No, Nelson Mandela. He's not Madikizela. That's not thingy. I would, for mm. some reason, I'd love to have a conversation with him about his dream for Africa and, mm. and South Africa and where we grew up and some of the places we may know and just, just have some time with who I consider a remarkable Mm. that's interesting he his name actually comes up quite a lot um he was a great man if i could allow myself a regret in life 
um, it would be that I didn't grasp an opportunity to meet Nelson Mandela that, mm. that I, I could have grasped. Perfect. So, Will, how can people find you? Our listeners that want to reach out, what's the best ways to uh, to learn about your work? Um, yeah, how, how do they reach you? So, if you um, want to be reached, <laughs> there are. Uh, I, I do want to be reached um, as, as much as I'd enjoy sitting in an ice bath all day. Uh, it doesn't keep me keep me out of trouble. Um, so, it's a very simple website. It's my name, willvanzale.life. This is about life, so willvanzale.life. Or I have a cringe and enjoy saying that if you Google me, Will Van Zale, um, I, I am the top 10 hits, which is quite nice. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, Will, willvanzale.life is the easiest way to find me. And, and how do you spell that, Will? For those that... Uh, the Will is W-I-L-L. Yep. So W-I-L-L-V-A-N-Z-Y-L dot life. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, it's been lovely having you on, Will. Really, really insightful. Really enjoyed it. Um, you did great work. And, um, you know, if Rocket Pod can help spread a bit of wisdom and inspiration around the world, then, um, yeah, we, we can kind of uh, do our part to, to help spread the word about your work and, um, and give folks some, yeah, something else to think about and, and, and look into. Yeah, cool. Really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation, as always. I have a feeling we're going to have a few more of these and a few more 90-minute sessions are just going to go flying by. I think we will. Brilliant. Cool. Thanks a lot. All right, James. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Rocket Pod. If you get a moment, we'd love it if you could jump over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on and leave a quick review. We love all your messages. It helps us get exposure to inspire and share more stories like this one and help guide new guests that you'd really enjoy. Will today gave us some great tools to be more mindful, to live in the mo- in the moment, and to actually really bring good healing to our mind, body, and spirit. And another thing that kind of struck me was, you know, we can start implementing these tools uh, or these habits into our daily lives to help us live a better, yeah, just have um, better wellness in general. So thanks, Will, for um, all your advice. Uh, really, really fun, and we hope to see you again. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll see you next time.